everyone, and welcome back to the Dog Show Drive with Wayne and Will. I'm Wayne Cavanaugh. You are Wayne Cavanaugh, and you'll always be my hero. I'm Will Alexander. Yes, you are. And this week, we have our 102nd episode, and we're talking about color genetics, marshmallows, and more right here on the Dog Show Drive. I love marshmallows. Good morning, young William. How are you, bud? I'm great, Wayne. It's good to see you. I'm bright and early. You gotta get this done. I just want to welcome you to the 102nd edition, yeah, of the Dog Show Drive. 102, bud. How about that? Two years. We should have a party and then give each other watches or something. I think we should too. It is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know. And it's cool that every weekend you go out, there's more people talking to us about it and asking us silly questions, and um, it's all good. And some people, frighteningly, and we've talked about this before, um, people you've never met or saw before, and they're asking you personal questions about your life because you've revealed them during yeah. the podcast, which we don't even think we're doing because we're just having a conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. Because that's how we talk. And so it's, it's yeah, that sometimes we let things out that, Maybe we wouldn't normally, but it's, I think it's good. I think it makes people feel like they're a part of it. So, yeah, yeah. We'll make them think so. It's just really a bunch of jerks talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing we (laughs) see, we didn't think we have any hockey, but I just thought of something. Remember when Don Cherry talked, uh, called the Carolina Hurricanes a bunch of jerks? Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah. And they went and had t shirts made. This is what you do. And it said a bunch of jerks and they sold those t-shirts like crazy. Yeah. So, so blank, blank you Don, because they took it and ran with it and made money. Oh, and he, I'm sure he's thrilled now with it. You know, he's thrilled that that happened for them. So yeah, yeah of course, of course. The Caniacs, you know, they're, yeah. I, they're a fun team. I love it when they wear the retro Hartford Whalers jerseys. That's yeah. why I love them. Those are very cool. And you got to love Rod Brindamore. So we promised that the Stanley Cup is over, so we wouldn't talk about hockey. So we're not going to do that. Not in this episode, Will. Yeah, so just ignore what we just talked about. Ignore it. We just... Don Cherry has dogs, so that's that's why, that's right. you know. And he has touched Miss P. Will has a Toronto Maple Leafs hat on and some ring from some... What's that? He's got a Stanley Cup ring from 1967 Stanley Cup. Yeah, they had invented hockey around then, and Toronto had won a couple games. 1967, so that's... uh, Yeah, just just the other day. Yeah, yeah, a couple years ago. Anyway, um, most of our listeners weren't born, Will, in 1967. Wow, think about that. I don't know if you say most because my mom and then and, and the three other people. So maybe <laughs> it's true. I asked Cheryl, have you, my wife, have you ever listened to the podcast? Yeah. When we're in the car together and you make me, you turn it on. <laughs> yeah. Brody listens. I don't no, I know he, he does. He does. And then, and I get people get, if we're at least bit late, I get people messaging me, you know, where oh, podcast. I know. Let's hope we have one for you today. What's going on up there, bud? Uh, what's going on? Well, I have a surprise guest. We might have a surprise guest on the podcast, depends. But our friend and friend of the show, Doug Belter. Yes, he on is. Route, Siberian blue eyes and all. And all. On route to uh, Milton, Ontario. That's right. He'll be bringing you some ribbons and roses, I believe. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. That's an inside joke for three of us that know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) And we can't reveal it or his wife will kill us. Anyway, um, well, we certainly would welcome the presence of Mr. Belter. So you never know. You never know. And what else is going on this week? Oh, I'm doing a seminar in Kingston at the Love a Canine Training Center. Um, Should be a good two days, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, a two-day or a good one. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, oh, I just got a clarification. I'm going to be going to Tucson, Arizona. Everybody get ready. 
Tuso, and are you ready? Yeah. A <laughs> seminar down there? September. We're doing a seminar in September. So. Wow. I wonder if I'm open. I'd, I mean, I love Tucson. I just love it there. Yeah, well, it's beautiful. I, I think you yeah. went for that. Remember, we went for the Beagle National there. Yeah, yeah. You were there. I, when I went down. Yeah, we were there. Often, <laughs> I went and we had dinner. <laughs> you know, a dog or something down there. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, yeah. Beagle, a couple. Of <laughs> <laughs> I kept telling. I I forget. I didn't. I think. I, I think I was just there by myself. I didn't have my assistants with me, and um, we had here. me. But that, yeah, well, they were asking about what it was like in the desert. So I kept sending them pictures of snakes. What I just pulled off the internet. <laughs> oh, yeah, I opened up my door and here's this. Oh my God, they go out there. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I really was trying to persuade Cheryl uh, that we should consider a summer place in Tucson. So I was giving a lecture in St. Louis. So I was down a day ahead, and then Cheryl was going to fly down and meet me in Tucson. So she did. I rented. It was in, it was in uh, October, right before Halloween. So the weather was perfect. And I rented a Mustang convertible and picked her up at the airport, the top down. And I moved to this beautiful resort. And, I mean, it was perfect. Everything about it was perfect. We went to Biosphere. We went to uh, – we took Lori and Caitlin, Crandlemeyer – in the convertible to Deadwood and did all that stuff, you know, all that tourist stuff. And we I had miss a great those too. We have to. Yeah, yeah. We don't see them at all. They're no, like they're up uh, up in northern yeah, I BC. Just, I think they're just holograms. Well, I'm not even sure they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I get a message or a picture of P. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Anyway. Um... <laughs> uh oh. Somebody I came across the clicker ticker. Somehow I didn't turn up my notifications. <laughs> and I'm getting messages. Um, I'm just going to have to ignore those. If you hear a bing, you hear a bing. I'm sorry. I didn't enjoy. hear anything. So, but if I turn, if I go turn them off now, I'll wreck the whole system. We'll all be uh, without Zoom. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's. Um, it's always fun to have those seminars. And when you have them in a place like Tucson, you're going to get a different crowd of people, different dogs, and you will have a great time. Well, I'm I love looking it. forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. It should be, the advertising should be up pretty soon. We, we uh, finalized everything the other day. So it should be Excellent. ready to roll. You've got one coming in Jersey or Pennsylvania or something? Uh, yeah, in Jersey, Washington, New Jersey. And we're still working on, actually, we have the Kalamazoo in February, Wayne. Yes. I'm going to K-Zoo. Yes, you are. The yeah. big city, buddy. The big city. The cool city. Yeah. That's how I've advertised on my website. We'll see you in the cool city. Yeah. Sit well, back, it is relax, the- listen to the mellow tones of Wayne and the Bell Tone. <laughs> <laughs> we did get a bunch of money uh, because we were designated as a cool city. Well, it is. It's, I couldn't believe how cool the city was. I, when you put me up there a couple of times for, to judge there, I had a great time. A great time. A beautiful. So much live music and so much art and video. You have no and, idea, though. Yeah. Right. They the people that hasn't haven't been there have no idea what it's what the atmosphere in Kalamazoo is like. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Little yeah. theaters and plays all the time, and um, great live music. You know, the, I think the Gibson Factory by Kalamazoo tourism. <laughs> all the. Uh, if you ever come to the Kalamazoo shows and you go from the airport or the uh, hotel to the showgrounds, that's not Kalamazoo. No, no. Technically, it is, but I'm telling you, that's the opposite of Kalamazoo. If you yeah, go down, yeah, yeah. I had my first. What's that beer you have in town? Bell's Two Hearted. Yeah. yeah, I had my first one there when I was at the pub there at the hotel we were staying at, and that yeah. was. I had a great time, you know. Yeah, it's fun city, so you'll have a good time, and it's a real dog city too. You know we. We had so many dog show people within striking distance of Kalamazoo. And at one point, you know, we were 20 minutes from George Ward and um, Cindy Cook and uh, and so many others uh, that have bred and owned big winning dogs right here in town. And they have their own little kennel club. Kalamazoo Kennel Club has their own little building on D Avenue, a little training center that's beautiful. And they use it for all kinds of shows, small shows, specialties. Lots of handling classes. Um, I judged a cocker specialty there once. So there's plenty going on. Uh, we also have, here in Kalamazoo, a place that I wish you all could see. It's a group of people who work together 
to put together, we call it the dog mafia, the dog nice mafia. It's a 27 acre fenced in, and I say fenced in, it's six foot chain link and it's fenced underground too. So no digging it out. 27 acres with a pond and this, they put sand around the pond like a beach with um, whatever the hell those things are that cause shade. I don't know. It's wood stuff you put in the sky and it helps you have shade and chairs. But most important, there's an official dock so you can train for dock jumping right into the pond. So dogs run around these 27 acres and play, and it's all mowed grass. It's like a golf course, but surrounded by trees on the edges. And they all can run and then jump in the pond. Sitting above that, is a pub called the Thirsty Hound. Oh, yeah, you told me about that And one. there's a training center and a daycare there. And then there's a separate building that's a gorgeous craftsman-style cottage with raised tubs. So you can give your dog a bath while they're looking at the play glass window, seeing the dogs run around the park, jump in the pool, and their owner's having a beer up top. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if there's anything like it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's a dog country club, and it's really cool. And you meet the coolest people there, too. Um, you What's see it called? Meadow Run. Meadow Run. And it's the address is technically Oshtimo, but I think it's listed as Kalamazoo. But it's a cool thing to go see. Anyway, all that and more right here in Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm off, and this is a topic, Will. I just thought of it. I'm judging a uh, specialty in Monasha, Wisconsin this weekend, an English setter specialty. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it because a friend of mine who I'm loyal to couldn't do it. And um, I'll do it. It's two days, a Saturday and Sunday. These are independent specialties. And they don't get big entries. Uh, we, I think this year it's 25 and 25. I'm judging one day, another judge judging the next day. So it's going to take us an hour and a half, two hours. And it's a six-hour drive for me each way. I don't know about the other judge. and. I just am so concerned it's not linked to anything else. There's no other all breeds or and it's gonna be you know, expensive for them to hold that. It's gonna be very expensive. As much as I love these small independent specialties and I'll do anything to support them, it's gonna cost judges money to go do that. And how many judges are gonna be wanting to do a favor for a friend? Um, it's gonna be difficult to keep holding these as much as I love them. And Get the make it work financially because yeah, they're going to have to eventually maybe localize their judges, and that's and that may be fine for one year, but it's going to be people familiarity. How many are there in Menasha, Wisconsin? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's tough. It really is tough. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, I love the breed, and then I'm I'm trying to take some time off because I've got to build a playhouse for the grandkids, which I love doing. And my brother's moving down, fixing up his house. So he's bringing his dog, Willow, which I have not seen yet. I have not met Willow yet. What, what um, is Willow? Do we know? That's exactly the question, Will. That is exactly the question. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all kinds of other stuff going on, all dog related. So yesterday, I listened to the webinar that Tim Thomas did on judging procedures, procedures, guidelines, and that sort of thing. Well, it was really good. I wish I'd I wish I had known about it. I would have loved to have listened to it. I wonder if there's yeah. a I wonder if there's a way to re-listen to it to find out. I don't, you know, they, I wish they would do that, keep them, but I don't think that's the way it works. I wish it was, because it'd be a great resource. I would like to go back to it and re-examine a couple of things. Tim has a Vulcan mind more. So does Mark DeRosier's uh for rules and regs they can quote them and that would be impressive if it was a 12 page book but it's like 900 pages of rules yeah. <laughs> change all the time but tim's got him right in his head and it's for example he was talking about um it's when you do specialties you're going to get invited to judge braces teams stud dog brood bitch generations whatever it might be veterans and there's different rules and and things that would pop up that you might not even Think about, you know, and then all of a sudden you're in that situation. Um, one woman asked if she had a stud dog with three get, could one of the get also serve as a stud dog for another group of get? 
That never crossed my mind. But if someone tries it, you have to know what to say, right? Yeah. There's not going to be a rep there for an independent specialty, typically. So it's it behooves us to to learn those things. And it's it's more than that. It was about the new system that the AKC has implemented, where you can finally go in and look at your own records. And that's a big deal. The judges' reports are in there. Every show you've um, judged, every assignment that you were listed for, um, it'll have a X whether the assignment was done. Because when you go back and try to apply for Breeze, they want to know how many times you've judged at a match or a foreign assignment or as a replacement judge. All those things counts towards the matrix of CEUs. Oh. And it's, it's, I know, I know. But it's hard. I do it by hand because you had to up to now. So whenever I judge a owner-handler group, I come home with those sheets and enter it into my database because if I judge those breeds more than three times, uh, and you can't keep in your head if you've judged a Quaker Hunji three times at owner handler sporting groups in the last five years or whatever. So I put it into my spreadsheet and I have it set up where it, it automatically updates. If it's three, it lights it up a different color. So I know that's one point. Um, so having access to those records online is a big gift from the AKC. Yeah, that is. My well appreciated. Heart. So it'll be, I haven't tried it yet. I'm sure it's complicated, but um, there was the example they tried to use. Of course, there was a, a bug in it, <laughs> but um, but that happens. Anytime you do a demonstration or a lecture, one of your slides is going to go bad. But Tim did a great job and um, hats off to them. Well done. And Speaking of Mark and Tim, Mark's son graduated from high school, a prestigious high school in New York. So hats off to him. As our kids are getting older, Will, they're growing up. They're growing up. Did you, um, did you, um, and remember last week we talked about Australia's spring stewarding and paperwork? Did you see yeah, what was sent to us? Up. Yes, yes. Yeah. Ruth wrote up to us. Hi, guys. I was listening to the podcast, driving to the shows this weekend in Australia. So people in Australia are listening to our podcast, Wayne. And I heard you mention how our ring stewards now work on tablets. My husband, Jeremy, wrote the system that is widely used. Here's a link, just for your interest, to one of it, to one of his videos on how it works. I think that's amazing. The system will run with or without internet connection. And a Wi-Fi, if Wi-Fi is available, the tablets will automatically update the main laptop in the office as the ring runs. It's not, if not, the results can be quickly be synced to the main computer once the tablet goes back to the office at the end of the group. The system is also linked to our live results sites. Results are updated as the steward works. So those those not at the show or showing dogs in different rings know exactly what's happening where the rings are and, and where the rings are up to, but which would be a great benefit to so many handlers you know Wayne you've been talking about this for years and I yeah. think this is amazing what they've done it's over exactly there. what I've always talked about the fact that it can be synced to the mainframe and no one's sitting there making errors retyping it three times it's just brilliant I, I'm so glad someone did it wow. and you know you should post that a link uh link that link <laughs> to uh one of your dog show tips or something or we can put them on our on our own yeah. facebook page or something so people can have access to it because i would hope the akc would be listening and seeing how it's done what's well, amazing no. and just what and even say? just on a selfish when i was showing dogs can you imagine being at say westminster and, and wondering what's happening in the toy ring and you you're stuck and but you can look it up it, it all of a sudden it, it comes up on your laptop or your, your ipad I didn't even thought of that. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. So, so many little ancillary benefits from something like this. Well, I think it's amazing. And also, if it's incorrect, you can immediately call and correct it. Yeah. Yeah. Without getting into the weeds and having it in a folder somewhere in North Carolina. Because you know, I'm, I'm quite technically 
challenged. And I always have this line that technology peaked with frozen pizza. And whenever I ask Doc a question, he'll send me back, what kind of pizza are you having? <laughs> <laughs> you can figure this one out. I think anyone can. It's not hard. It's just like marking your judge's book, except you use your finger instead of a pen. Well, I'm sure it, sound, it sounds fabulous. And I think that's a uh, it's, it looks like it's the way of the future, Wayne, that you predicted probably so. 10 years ago. Maybe 10, maybe 12, I don't know, a long time ago. But I hope, you know, there was a thing called the World Congress of Kennel Clubs. And it was held every five years, rotated by a host country. It was absolutely phenomenal, Will. This is exactly where the Australian Kennel Club would have presented something like this. So all the other kennel clubs of the world, and I mean all of them, would be sitting in a room together, FCI clubs typically in the AKC, of course, uh, and Canon even before there was FCI, uh, and before they were completely linked. And all these countries would be sharing information about what they're doing. A lot of it back then was uh, Canon legislation, Canon education, um, genetics systems that they were using. Uh, I presented for the AKC twice. I presented... Uh, with the Irish Kennel Club. And I did something with Graham Head and the Australian Kennel Club once well in Bermuda. It was so informative. Not only did you learn, each kennel club could learn from each. We're helping each other. We're in this together. And it was so rewarding. Unfortunately, when it came to the United States, it stopped. Uh, The AKC didn't want to do it. And I don't know how or why or what happened, but it that's where it fizzled out. And I don't know if it still goes on without America. Yeah, I mean, I can but, find out if anybody's listening that knows, because that would be so beneficial to our sport. It was. It was. And and now you could even broadcast it. You could, because each kennel club did a presentation on what they're doing. So, you know, or your slot would be whatever time it was, mm-hmm. and you would get up. And it would, in my case, I would put all the slides together and, you know, the staff, of course, and I present our slides, our videos, or just speak whatever was was most informative and helpful for the people at hand on the topic. And it was great. I don't know. It's a shame that it's lost. And I hope it's not lost worldwide. I hope the FCI clubs are still doing it. There are kennel clubs in Sri Lanka. I mean, there's a kennel club in every country and they're active. We just don't hear about them. And they have good ideas. Um, and that, that, there's, there's, that, there's nothing negative about that. You know, that's, no. a, that's a positive for all of us. And it's too bad that we're not all involved anymore. So I don't know if CKC is involved or not. I want to find out. I don't even know if it's held anymore because it was so productive. Yeah. But we also had conferences, I think, seven years ago or so. There was one in Washington that was a bit controversial, but it was a health and genetics genetics seminar attended by kennel clubs from all over the world. And um, the Swedish kennel club presented this wonderful system they have where you, the health records, the dogs are in their system. So if you want to, and this is another thing I've been talking about for years, you can go on their site, plug in two pedigrees, and it'll come up with the inbreeding coefficient, health hazards, it'll put a stop sign up if if you shouldn't do that breeding, Recommend, you know, recommended, sure. and all features that could be easily incorporated, um, so we could breed better dogs. Who wouldn't want to do that? I believe we all want to do that. Will yeah, any, so, any kind of tool, you know, it's like breeding analytics. Was, you know, that was very poorly attended by Americans, um, and, and heavily, <laughs> heavily supported and attended by other countries and other outside interest in the dog-related industries. Yeah, it's amazing that something like that isn't still going on because the world has gotten so small. You'd yeah. think that, that would be an easy thing to do now, especially with Zoom. It'd be an easy thing to do. And there's so many brilliant leaders of these kennel clubs. If Aki Hedhammer, and, and there's so many more from Finland, Sweden, all these countries that have really done, by the way, to Sweden and Denmark and, the, and, the, and those countries not produce beautiful dogs? Oh. <laughs> sighthounds, flat coats, oh, go on forever. Water retrievers and the sighthounds, you know, and the, and the terriers have stayed constant. Like they're high quality. So, yeah. One of the first ones that I went to might have been Hamilton, Bermuda. 
The last one I went to was in Dublin, which was the best. Of Hamilton course. Bermuda would be fun, though. I love Hamilton Bermuda. It really was. Cheryl and I rented a scooter. And, um, yeah, that was dangerous, but we survived. We were young. I had Bermuda Road Rash when I was there. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Most people do. Yeah. Damn frogs <laughs> crossing the road on me. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Shocking. But at that um, at that conference, we talked about um, little things. One, they want they wanted me to speak about shelters in America and what we're doing, as well as the regular presentation. And there were countries that were just looking at me like, "What? What are you possibly talking about? What's a shelter?" I couldn't believe that they didn't even know what we were talking about. So I described what it was, and they said, "We just don't have that." Have any call for? We do with the excess dogs. We don't have any. People buy a dog and they keep it. Now you can't change that premise. You can't change that social norm in America. It's too big and it's already done. But isn't it interesting that there are countries that just don't have that problem because it exist? Yeah. Yeah. Now sometimes those countries have strong parameters for you even owning a dog, and that wouldn't probably fly here. Um, for example, a country requires you to have a hunting license and so many acres to get a pointer uh, or a bird dog of any kind. So we wouldn't want those restrictions in our, our cowboy country, but uh, but it's interesting <laughs> to know about them. You know, it's interesting to know. And without those world congresses, um, I don't know how we do that, Will. No, that's a, that's a missing tool from our sport, I think. Yeah. Talking about genetics, I, want, I have a question for you. Um, I was watching a, a breed the other day, and I and it's interesting because you see, that's a breed we all you love and pointers, orange and lemon. They get so close color wise. How do you determine which one's which? How do you see that one's a lemon, that one's orange? Sorry, it's all about the color of their nose. And I wrote a book on this, uh, color inheritance in pointers, a long time ago. It probably needs an update, but you can go there nine phenotype nine genotypes four phenotypes and you don't know which one you have until you breed them necessarily but you can usually tell if you use my cavanaugh prediction method which is a <laughs> like a mileage chart and you can put in the color of the siren dam then you come down and it'll give you percentages your chances of getting orange black liver and lemon which are the phenotypical colors that you can observe there are there are different there are four different black and whites. Uh, there are two different oranges. There are, you know, yeah, each one has a number of ways they can produce depending on their genotype. So to answer your question specifically, and I tell you that background because it's important, it doesn't matter what color, coat color, a pointer has in determining, well, it does. It has to be a yellowish, you know, a yellowish, tannish. It can be a light, light, light yellow or a deep, deep, deep orange. That does not determine the color of the dog. The color of the nose does, and eye rims. So the pigment does. A pale, pale coat, pale yellow coat with a black nose can produce black and white. A deep, deep orange, rich, rich color with a self-colored nose can't produce black and white unless it's bred to one. So if you bred a deep colored orange color, it's not an orange pointer, right. a deep color, coat color with a self-colored nose to a liver, you'd only get liver and lemon. Wow. But if you bred a black nose to a liver, you can get all four colors. So an orange is determined by its nose, not its coat, not the shade of its coat color. And it's important only because that's how they reproduce. And if we're breeders, we need to come up with terms that we agree on. And that's one of them that we've agreed on. And I wrote the book, oh, a long time ago. It needs to be updated, of course. But um, it still works. The prediction method still works. That's and I still those all over. I'm glad we discussed that because uh, I, I look at them and I, I wonder if that's the same with beagles then. Well, I don't know. Well, I've, you, I've never seen a, uh, a red and white or lemon and white with a black nose and black irons. Yeah. They're all self-colored. So they don't have that variation that I know of. Um, so they would only, you have, it's a recessive, obviously. Anything that's self-colored nose is recessive. That's why you have to have them to get them, but, or carry for them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty complicated in some, and after I wrote that little booklet, 
on pointers, clubs would call and say, hey, can you do English cockers? And I'd say, I'm not that smart. You guys have way too many color patterns. And, uh, and then patches and roaning and all that. Now, the good news is, and I've worked them years ago at Jim Edwards, at University of uh, California, Davis, UC Davis, has a brilliant program on coat color inheritance. And you can... and. A lot of breeds, they need practical geneticists to talk about how it really works. So Jim and I would go out, Jim Edwards and I, go out and talk to them. They were wonderful. They're just such smart people. But they have tests now for color for certain breeds, not all. And it's all based on pigment and nose color and coat color. That's how you determine what you're going to get in any breed. So it's amazing. Uh, pigment plays that much of a, a role. So it's, yeah, it does. It's a big determining factor, and you'll see it. It's good to know, though, even just from my own personal, not that it matters when you're out there judging, but you like to run these things through in your head about the, what color that is. And... Well, there's lots of breeds that I, you know, for example, in beagles, we've not agreed on it. There's no agreement on what that's called. Mm-hmm. Red and white, lemon and white, tan and white. There's no agreement. And pointers, it's clear because one's different than the other because of its pigment. That's not true in beagles because they don't have, I mean, hazel, our little beagle, is the closest you'd ever see to a red and white beagle with a black nose and black eyes. But the reason she's not a red and white is because she has black nose and black eyes. She's a tricolor. She was born a deep black tri didn't last long. She has the deepest, deepest chestnut red. It's gorgeous. If I could breed that color on purpose, I would. But you can't because she'd produce tries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. It is interesting stuff, Wayne. And and, and you do get into it with 200 breeds. You're not going to remember the, the, the terminology for color in all of them. No, but, uh, but I... That may reason now I know I've been in dogs my whole life, and you just answered that question for me. So yeah, it's it's interesting how much how little we know. And that brings me to the marshmallow test, Will. Uh oh. <laughs> I don't know why that made me think of it, but that's brilliant. There was a guy named Walter Michelle. You probably read this study. Oh uh, yeah. Um that along with the far side comics, yeah. <laughs> It's a famous study. Walter Michelle, uh, a psychologist from Stanford, did, and it was used for, it's still used, but it is such a famous study that it's typical parlance and you're talking in social science circles or anything like that. Everyone knows what the marshmallow test is. He took kids that were the the mean age was the average age. no, the mean age was, they weren't mean, was four years old, right? So they went from three years, six months to five years, three months or something like that. But they're three and four and five-year-old kids, mostly four-year-olds. And they put them in a room by themselves and they'd put a marshmallow on the desk in front of them, on the table in front of them. And the they would come in and say, okay, if you wait 15 minutes, and don't eat that marshmallow, we'll come back and give you a second marshmallow. But if you eat it right away, that's all you get. And it was delayed gratification was part of the study. Well, Walter Michelle determined later on, it was a longitudinal study, that these kids who could resist the longest and not fall for instant gratification had the higher SAT scores, the lower body fat scores and were more successful in life than the kids that went for it right away. So he thought he was on to something brilliant, as did everybody for many, many years. But 50 years later, the social scientist guys came along and went, wait a second, um, there's a bias there because maybe the kids that resisted and could had better access to food all the time were from a high, higher social economic background and family support and education. So they weren't expecting that, they were expecting they could get food. Where yeah. a kid that might not have that thought, you know what, in my world, we don't get a second chance. I'm eating it now. So it the study got changed, new experiments were done. And while there's still credibility to that's the original marshmallow study. It's been debunked because somewhat, 
We all think we think for ourselves. We don't. We think in our social circle we're not even aware of. And I know this sounds like a long route around Lake Wobegon, but it gets back to breeding because we are in this for instant gratification too often. We don't need to know in our world about the colors. We don't need to know about pigment and genetics. We don't even know, people don't even know the sire's and grandsire's name. They don't even, they don't know the behavior, the temperament of the great grandsire's and granddams. None of that matters. They're breeding two dogs so they can win next year. Right. They're eating the marshmallow, Will. They're eating the damn marshmallow real That's quick. That's good. I like the way you did that, Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true because you look at like I had, I was I'm deeply involved in certain breeds when I was showing dogs, so I got to know families of dogs, mm-hmm. and I could pick out by looking at their mouth alone where they came from. And uh, I don't think that's apparent in it as as much anymore. So I brought that up. I was I was going over a dog like that, and I said, "Oh, this dog must go back to so and so." And they had no idea. They came back with me and said, "Yeah, it does." Yeah. But yeah, it's it's amazing, you know. Yeah. I and like that delayed gratification. Yeah. It is, and I think we've, and it's not an individual. And to bring it to the second study where the social scientists got involved. We're we're not only thinking of on ourselves, we're thinking to ourselves, I made this decision to make this breeding right now so I can win soon. But you had a group of people around you doing the same thing. So you were more comfortable doing that. So it's a trend that shifts. You think you're thinking on your own, you're doing this, but you're really thinking with the whole sport, which has become obsessed with instant gratification. Well, the we, whole world has become obsessed with instant yeah, gratification. We're just a reflection of that world, right? But it's... It is interesting. The old breeders knew every dog, and there are still breeders who do, but boy, too often, in my anecdotal experience, too often do we see people breeding for a group winner in the next generation. Right, yeah. It's amazing. This is a deep episode we've started. We, have, we haven't had much light heart. I think we should sing a tune of the Muffin Man just to, <laughs> just to, to lighten everything up. But when you think about this, um, it brings it brings me to other topics, right? Like, that's the way my crazy... One woman at a seminar once said to me, uh, if you're ever giving out tours to the maze of the way you think, I'd pay five bucks for a ticket. And I said, I'd probably lose it. And I'd lose the maze halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the th- thing that brings me to is when you're breeding for instant gratification, when you're breeding for one generation only, not planning ahead, Pat Craig would, would breed 10 generations ahead, she'd be thinking, what she's going to do, right? That's why she always made, makes, still makes, Great L count, right? So how do you do that? How do you get the instant gratification winner? You make them longer, Will. You make them run fast. That's all they care about. If I can make ones a little longer and runs fast because it's a little longer, I can win more best in shows and groups. Unfortunately, they're not wrong. Yeah. Let's see how he did that, people. And we've been on this for almost an hour now. He went from all these topics back to low and long. I planned it that way. Yeah, right. I planned no. it that way. I don't plan anything. But it's really, it's the way it is, you know. Um, I had a friend uh, from who moved here from Germany who was a tradesman, and they made him make a perfect square of wood and metal. And uh, he thought it would be easy. No one in the class could do it. Uh, a perfect square is a perfect square, but they knew what a square was. They just had, it had to be laser perfect by hand on all four sides, impossible without CNC machines and whatever. But he learned a lesson how important a square was. And he was telling me this story and I thought, wow, I wish every judge could be made to build a square out of wood or metal or clay or something to get in their heads what square was because square breeds aren't square anymore. And that's too damn bad. Freedom <laughs> them to run fast. Yeah. yeah. Talking right. about running, our yes. friend Alex yes. Baldwin. Look how that happened. Look how that happened. Yeah. Alex Baldwin. Alec. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Not to be confused. He's not, he's not the, the other guy. The actor. This guy's cooler. 
Way cooler. Tell the story, Will. Tell the story. Well, Alec is a, he's a beagle fancier from Manitoba, on Manitoba, Canada. And he's a wonderful young man. He's uh he's beagles have have beagles and dog shows have really brought young Al- Alec around. Alec is an overachiever in everything he does. And yesterday, Alec won the gold medal in the Special Olympics for the 800 meter. How cool. The gold medal. Gold How medal. Cool yeah. He's amazing. He's an amazing young man. He sings the national anthem in both French and English at sporting events in Manitoba. He shows dogs. He he runs. He plays musical instruments. He writes. He paints. He painted a picture of Miss P and presented it to me at, at Westminster. And he he presented a he did the Swiss Mountain Dog, very Swiss Mountain Dog of Scots, and presented that to Scott. He he he's an amazing young man. And just uh, when I read that yesterday, that he he got the gold medal in the eight hundred, it gave me goosebumps. He's just an amazing young man, and he's so supportive of dog shows. He's always following along. He knows every dog that's in the rankings. He and he's, I, I would I would fly to Manitoba and show dogs there, and he he'd be outside the ring. He'd go, go Will Alexander. <laughs> and the judge would look at me. I'm like, that's my friend Alec. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? Now, congratulations, Alec. We're all so proud of you. That's amazing. We sure are, Alec. Congratulations. And um, you do such a great job with your beagles, and you're a great diplomat for the breed, too. And we oh, all have a wonderful young that. man. Wonderful young man. Everybody's got his place in the sport of kings, bud. That's there right. are That's right. everybody, you know, and, and there again, we talked about this last week being part of the family, supporting each other. In times of uh, happiness and times of sadness, so yeah, and um, I, I, I feel bad. I, I I didn't know Mike Barry very well. Uh, I think I'd met him a couple times. You met Mike Barry? Yeah, yeah. I knew Kate very well because Kate worked for Phil Booth in Michigan, so I got to know Kate for a long time. And I, I've never met their son, but I, my condolences, our condolences, go out to them. And, and Mike fought hard, and I just. I know the sport will surround both of them and, and do what they can for them. So, Yeah, we, you know, last week we talked about the horrible fire and, and how our support and hearts went out to Rick and Mandy Justice. And um, Mike Berry was around the same time, I think. Yeah. And we we didn't mention him last week and wanted to this week. Our heart goes, oh, it's just, yeah, man, you got to live for the day, bud. Yeah, I didn't know Mike very well, but from anybody I've spoken to, he was the nicest, always smiling, always joking, did a wonderful job, job with his dogs. Kate, Kate was, she always used to say to me, good morning, sunshine, whenever she saw me. And a dog, she was, she was so much fun and a professional, man. She was, she could do anything, that young lady. It's, uh, my heart goes out to her and, and, uh, and Aiden, their son. Um, and it was, it was a rough week, you know, a rough week. You know, Will, you said that she used to say, Good morning, sunshine. Yeah. What was my text to you this morning? Good morning, sunshine. Good morning, sunshine. <laughs> you could just maybe you're re- you're emanating all those gorgeous rays of sunshine. Yeah. That's what you bring to the basements. <laughs> or in my basement. You're not in your basement, right? No, no, I'm in my living room. Yeah. Well, this is my office, and I have to say it's pretty well lit, isn't it? No, your lighting is for radio. No one's touching us. No one's All touching right. the radiance. I got a face radio too. It goes so <laughs> well together. That's what my father used to always tell me. I was very pleased by that inspiration. You know. <laughs> so we should, we should have stuff. one episode of just dad jokes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be easy <laughs> for us. <laughs> oh God, my father used to, and I'm now the worst dad joke guy in the world. I am the worst. I was at Blaine's Farm and Fleet yesterday, and um, this guy walked up to the counter and said, um, he was picking up some lumber, and the guy said, I'll meet you in the bullpen. And the guy said, well, how am I going to find the bullpen? And of course, I said, just smell, just follow the smell of bulls. No one laughed but me, Will. No one. Yeah, no one it, But that doesn't matter. I do the same thing. I'll say something. As long as I think it's funny. It's hysterical. That's right. That's right. The Andy Kaufman School of Humor. Remember Andy Kaufman? Oh, yeah. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much. <laughs> I am Andy. 
<laughs> he had a lounge act where he would dress up in really bad velour suits and sing badly until they threw stuff at him. And that was his, and he never revealed that it was just him. Yeah, I, I that forget was that character's name. So. But that was, they, they were, he was hilarious. He was on Taxi. And we have some funny guys in the sport. We really do. Some good storytellers, some good joke tellers. So um, I'm all excited about my interview this afternoon. Oh, man. One of your favorites, friend of the show. Absolute favorites. Sam McDonald. Sam Houston McDonald. Sam Houston McDonald. I can't wait to sit down with Sam. That'll be fun. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Sam is just such a great big personality and such a font when it comes to wolfhounds, Irish setters, and many other breeds. But, um, oh, what a... What a wonderful, wonderful guy. And um, I just look forward to when we go to Orlando for the seminars, he's one of the reasons we go so we can hang out with Sam because he's in that uh, organization that puts it together. Um, funny story about that. Young Brody was at shows at Bryn Mawr this weekend. And uh, he called me and said, Dad, I met the nicest little guy. He was sitting down and uh, I got there because he's, I think Brody is a little... George Ward, Will Alexander, when it comes to being there early. I'm proud <laughs> for that, but it was real early, like 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> but there was a, a, a man, there weren't many people there, as you can imagine, at that hour. So Brody struck up a conversation with this man, and um, of course he, he said, wonderful conversation. And he told me about how charming this guy was and how much he liked him. And, and the next day he said, Dad, I talked to him again, and, and he's such a nice guy. And I asked him if he was showing anything, and he said, no, he was the president of the club. And that was that, and we had a good chat. And I thought, I wonder who he's talking about. And then Saturday night, Brody's driving home, from, I mean, Monday morning. Maybe or Sunday. I don't know. He Brody just driving home from the show and he goes, Dad, I looked it up. You know who that? And he goes, Does Sam McDonald have a short white beard? And he described them to a T. I said, Yeah, why? He goes, because I looked it up and he is the president of that club. That was Sam McDonald I was talking to. <laughs> and didn't know. <laughs> so it's generational, Sam. Even our son loves you and didn't even know you were. Exactly. So, That's I mean, I can't wait. It's gonna be a great conversation. So yeah. Yeah, he's he's. Please send him my regards. He's I the will, best. of course, of course. Anyway, well, where are you heading next, bud? Uh, I, so oh, I know where you're heading to the airport. I got to take Mister Belter to the airport. Yes, you do. Where's he going to kill something out west? He's flying out to visit his father. So. Oh, okay, they're going to go hunting, I assume. Maybe now this right. time, are they going to give those other animals a rifle too? Will that's why I was saying, to him, well, you know, what, what are they going to be carrying? <laughs> we kind of like to tease Doug about his hunting, even though we're very supportive. But it's, you know, he'll send me steaks and whatnot, and then and they're wonderful. So. Oh yeah, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Doug's the man. He's the man of the woods. Yeah. And then I mean, after that, I was lost in the woods, I was hope I'd hope Doug Beltro was with me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he'd be the guy. Yeah. So after the airport, although I'm afraid he'd probably leave me there. He might <laughs> tie you to a tree. <laughs> I get wind now all the time. I didn't see Will anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen him. I don't know where. And he ran off to some foreign country. So after that, where you two? Um, the following weekend, I'm judging the English Setter Club of Canada Regional, especially in oh, Manitoba. Good. Yes. Excellent. Oh, that'll be fun. Well, yeah, I'm looking be... forward to that. I get to see some of my friends from the West. And uh, I'm only in and out. I'm flying in early and getting out right after I judge. Is that this weekend? No, that's next weekend. This weekend's a seminar in Kingston. But I have a busy July. I think I'm judging in Manitoba. Then I'm flying to, to Newfoundland and judging there and doing a seminar in Newfoundland. And then I'm going to uh, New Brunswick and, and judging there and also doing a seminar in New Brunswick. So it's going to be fun. Be fun. Yeah, that will be fun. If you were judging English Setter Specialty this weekend, and I am too, that would really be serendipitous. Yeah. Too- Jinx, have a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, I don't know. I've got so much going on here at the house. I can't even stand myself. No, I don't even like my, looking at my calendar anymore. I'm trying to squeeze in days where I can go to the movies. <laughs> we're busy guys, very yeah. tired guys. My son Liam's in exams right now. I've got to go pick him up today too. It's it's uh, it's a, a fun time here. I'm trying to get this house ready for my brother to move down from Vermont. That's, that's exciting, though. I'm glad he's getting closer to you, though. Me too. And then we're building another house across the street 
to Mars because I want to make sure. For your friend Will to retire, right? For Will, yeah. And, and that's not <laughs> for us to live in. We're going to sell it. We just want to be able to look at the color that we want to look at. You can paint it whatever color you want, you know. I can, as long I as I have satellites so I can watch the Leaf game, I'll be fine. If someone else builds a house there and I hate the color, I'd never forgive myself for not buying that lot and building a house. <laughs> That's what we all do, you know. If you don't like something. <laughs> I'm thinking about such things. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Anyway. Um, I have one more thing. Yes, yes. I'm going to be having, I don't know exactly when yet, but I was, uh, I'm going to be having lunch with Dick Duff. You know I know Duff Dick Duff. Yeah. Only because you told me before the show. Oh, you know, <laughs> Dick Duff was, he was a, a hockey player in the NHL in the 50s and 60s. He's from Timmins, Ontario. And he played for my beloved Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. And he won, I want to say he won seven or eight Stanley Cups between the two of them. So he's, and he's a wonderful man. He, I believe he still has a Yorkshire Terrier and he's an amazing storyteller. And he lets me wear his Stanley Cup ring. You can't beat that. <laughs> but he does have a dog. I want to reroute this, right? Yeah, that's why. That's, that's, that's how I met him. I met him through yes. Loretta Saravini, who breeds Yorkshire Terriers. And he, she knew that I would be a big fan. So there you go. You dogs again, Will. I know. Dogs and hockey. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It introduces us to all kinds of places and people in the world. Yeah. It's just amazing. It keeps us on the road on the dog show drive. Right here. <laughs> All right, bud. All right. I've got things to do, places to go. Now you understand. I'm going to Take prepare for the arrival of Mr. Belter. Ooh, drum roll. All right. Everybody stay safe out there. We'll see you down the road. On the road again. Party on, good. No way. Way. Better be paying attention, Doc. Thanks for the <laughs> So Ernie use this in the blooper reel. That's right. We love you, Ernie. <laughs> Don't put that in, Ernie. <laughs> Quit taking yourself so damn seriously. I'm falling Yeah, they'll let us see it in a blueprint. Uh, this is good. We're going to be here in a second, Wayner. Don't lose it, Doc! <laughs>